Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is called the world's fastest humanitarian. It's activist and former track and field athlete, Dr. John Carlos. After winning a silver medal at the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, he, along with fellow U.S. runner Tommy Smith, atop the medal stand, raised their fists in the air to draw attention to human rights. Dr. Carlos and the now iconic moment are featured in the new documentary, Ali's Comeback. The film covers the years during which Muhammad Ali was banned from boxing and what it took legally, socially, and politically for Ali to fight again. I should note that this interview was recorded at the beginning of October. All right, uh, John Carlos, it's such an honor and privilege to get to talk with you, first of all. Uh, but let's jump right in. Um, there's a new film about Muhammad Ali called Ali's Comeback, The Untold Story. What can you tell me about this film and um, how do you play a role in it? Well, first of all, I think it's a great film to uh, show you all the trials and tribulations of Muhammad Ali uh, making his comeback. You know, they ostracized him for so long based on his uh, religious beliefs and and his visions of, of the Vietnam War. I think it was an op- excellent opportunity for him to come back to fight because if you realize with 50 states that banned him from boxing, I believe it was the organization in Philadelphia they tried and resurrect him in Philadelphia. They had a stronger organization in Georgia, in Atlanta in particular. And they chose to get the mayor, Ambassador Andrew Young, and many other high rollers in the city of uh, Atlanta to bring this fight about. A lot of people was concerned about who would win who would lose, but even more so, there was civil rights involved too because the KKK was not too impressed about them bringing Muhammad Ali to the state of Georgia uh, to have this fight. But in any case, the the good angels won, I might say, because the fight did take place. It was a fantastic uh, spectacle in terms of the number of black people that came together to make this thing happen the number of black people that was financially equipped that came together to be in one arena at the same time. That was the first of its kind. So a lot of good things came out of it, as well as the fact that when the fight was said and done, uh, Mr. Ali came out victorious as a champion again. And I say, what did that uh, mean to you as an athlete at the time to see Muhammad Ali come back and not only have a comeback, but become the champ again? Well, it was kind of personal to me because Muhammad Ali and I were very good friends at, at that particular time. Uh, you know, he was a little older than me. You might say a class ahead of me in college or so forth. Uh, but we were on the same wavelength, you might say, in terms of dealing with the issues of society. We used to go to various schools and give lectures and so forth to the high schools. I would be his surprise guest or he would be my surprise guest and have the opportunity to once again feed his family, to support his family. It wasn't like he was a clerical worker or a construction worker. You know, he wasn't in the medical field. He was a professional boxer. And when they stripped him of his title, it was very difficult for him to feed his family. You know, you had to go around and let them pass the hat if you go to a college or a university to give a speech, and there's no guarantee to how much money you will receive. But aside from the money, just think about all the obscenities that he had to deal with in terms of various students that didn't agree with his program. But he stayed gallant. He did what he had to do to support his family. And the end result is 
he took all challenges after that. He didn't just take the championship, sit back and enjoy this. He went forth and put the word out to all challengers that felt that they had the whereabouts or the means to beat him in the ring. He opened the door to them. Come in if you like to challenge me. If you think you can beat me, come on. I say not to mention when he was going through that, he had to deal with all sorts of obscenities as well throughout the United States for people that was not in his camp based on his uh, religion and political beliefs. So um, watching the film, there's so much I want to talk about. Specifically, you have, I think, the best lower third title in the film. It says Dr. Juan Carlos, World's Fastest Humanitarian. Can you explain that title? I was a track guy. I wasn't a boxer, but I was an athlete. And I was the world's fastest human at that particular time. But my emphasis wasn't on running track. My emphasis was on humanitarian issues. So that's the title that they came up with. That's the slogan that they used. And it stuck. And I'm wondering, like, all these years later, when we you see all the stuff going on today, um, and you think of Muhammad Ali, what does Muhammad Ali mean to you now? Well, I think Muhammad Ali is a symbol for equality. I think he, he showed uh, black pride, pride of, of self, pride of race, and as well as pride of, pride of country. Uh, he was an inspiration to myself, as well as many young individuals that was around at that particular time. But even so, you sit back and you think about here we are 50 some odd years later since that uh, great event. And there's so many young individuals that wasn't even born that have the pride and respect and the honor and the history of Muhammad Ali. And then I think um, just to get caught up for people who might not be familiar with that part of the story, he was banned from boxing for refusing to fight in the Vietnam War. And uh, we talked a little bit about why his comeback was important to you, but what do you think it was for like political and for a cause of putting peace and, and, and humanitarian causes first ahead of war? Because he was a man humanitarian before he was a boxer. He believed in equality for all people. He didn't see no point in him going to go over a siege to fight and kill individuals when he wasn't even being respected as a, a human being here in America, not as a citizen of America, not as a, a public servant of, of America in terms of him being the ambassador for America around the world as a heavyweight champ of the world, but just merely as a human being. He felt that he wasn't being respected. Why should I go abroad and kill some people that have never called him the word as he said? They've never put his family down, but yet and still those individuals that wanted him to go and put his life on the line for them, that's exactly what they were doing. And that uh, obviously like a part of the issue is the draft of the Vietnam War. Now you were in college at the time, but were you ever concerned about the draft either for yourself or your friends or family? Well, everyone was going into service, whether you volunteered or whether you was drafted. But when I went to Mexico City and made my statement in Mexico City, they sent me a telegram, told me I could tear my draft card up because they would never draft me into the military. And I understand why they wouldn't draft me into the military, because they figured maybe what I thought might rub off on other individuals. Yeah. And in the film, you also say like in 1967, American black people were coming to terms with who they are. How do you think that time compares to now in 2020? Well, I think it's, it's more collective now. I think it's far more people that's becoming to that point in, in, in their lives in terms of recognizing who they are and recognize, recognizing that they have not come to this level before based on the fear factor. There's so many individuals that felt that way years ago, but they didn't have the strength, the inner strength, because they had that, that fear factor hanging over their heads. I don't think black people are as fearful today as they were back 
let's say 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Now I understand people have an understanding that this war is not for me. This war is for my kids. They don't think change is going to come in an instant like instant coffee. It's going to take some time. It has to percolate. But in, in, in terms of percolating, they have to be out there marching. They have to be out there making statements and demonstrating and letting them know this is a new era for the black race. There is no more. Give us time. Time is here and we want it now. Another thing we saw this summer was professional athletes from the NBA, Major League Baseball, WNBA, tennis, and other sports protesting the shooting of Jacob Blake by not playing. When you saw that, what did that mean to you? Well, I said hallelujah in, in, in the words, you know, hallelujah, because now people have put themselves on the front line and said this thing, race, is far greater than any sports spectacle that they've ever had. And that's the same thing that Muhammad Ali was doing back 50 years ago. That's the same thing I've done 52 years ago. It would make people realize that humanity is far greater than athletics. They made athletics realize that you have to take a second suit, second seat to the issues that's confronting not only black people, but society as a whole, black people are the one that's carrying the load right now. So let's talk about uh, that protest at the 68 Olympics. You, along with Tommy Smith, um, were top the medal stand in the 1968 Olympics. It's uh, such an iconic image and moment and the fact it means something much larger than just two people. Now, I know you've spoken a lot about this moment, but what was going on through your mind at the moment? Well, the first thing that went to my mind is, oh, this is that movie that I saw when I was seven or eight years old because God gave me a vision or whoever the powers of this universe gave me a vision and showed me in a forum uh, that I didn't know what a forum was or a stadium was. But I was standing on a box. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was like a milk crate. I'm standing there, and I'm standing there by myself. All of the people out there, they're yippee-ki-yay and with excitement. I didn't realize what they was excited about. It took me a minute for me to think about it must be something I did because whoever the power was to be, they never showed me what I did. They just showed me in this form on this box. You know, as a little kid, when you realize that you've done something and everybody's applauding, you want to wave, but you don't just want to wave. You want to get up on your toes because you want to be seen by everyone. And just as I went to raise my hand up to wave, it froze in time from that moment to 1968 on that victory stand. Because just where my hand froze in time or my arm froze in time, that's where it froze in time on that victory stand. And the most amazing thing was that when it froze, it froze because all of the joy and happiness by the instance, it turned to anger and venom and hatred, viciousness. It scared me so much until it rocked me for the whole day. And when we went to dinner that night, I had to express to my parents what was happening. My father said, Johnny, what's the matter? I said, Daddy, I was in a movie. I explained to him, and he said to me, he said, son, no one's going to bother you. He said, my job is to love you, protect you, house you, feed you, and see that you get a good education. No one's going to bother you. But even in that vision, they told me, whoever the powers was said to me, have no fear because I have you in my hands. And I've had no fear for the rest of my life from that point on about doing what I thought was the right thing to do. First, um, when you walked off that stand and you started realizing their, what their reactions were, how did you deal with that? How did you and Tommy handle that? 
Well, I had a prelude as to what was happening prior to walking off the stand, as I stated, what they were doing in that vision as a kid. I thought about it so hard until I said, my, this is deja vu. It's happening all over again. So in terms of what they felt, how they acted, or how they didn't act, the bottom line is that the statement was done. They could never erase what was done. And I'm wondering, too, when you see photos and videos of that moment now, what does that mean to you? Well, it means that the youngsters have a blueprint. They have that new paradigm in their mind. They they have hope and belief that we can make change. And it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of people. It might be one or two people. But that individual, if you have the courage, you can make the world see where you're coming from and have them question themselves as to whether we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, I think a lot of people can draw a comparison to like what Colin Kaepernick was doing. And I'm wondering, um, with the way not only our government, but a lot of society has treated him, uh, what would you tell him? Well, I would tell him, you know, first I told him when I met him is that he didn't jumped into the pool of humanitarianism. This is not in the moment. This is in the movement. Once you jump there, you cannot jump out there and then think I can make one statement. Then I'm silent from that point on. And I think Mr. Kaepernick right now is being a little too silent from my understanding. And relative to his situation and my situation, there's various differences. He made a public statement. I made a public statement. But the difference is, I am still here 52 years later driving. His thing hasn't been five years yet, and I see him backing off. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, since Mr. Floyd's death, there's been many people that died, Black people. If you had taken a knee in the sense of Black people being murdered by law enforcement, and there's been so many deaths after Mr. Floyd or before Mr. Floyd, your voice, when it goes dormant, that's far worse than any voice that's raised. So if you're going to lead the chariot, lead the chariot. And that's the difference. And you said what I stated earlier, this is not in the moment. This is in the movement. No, that's very powerful. And um, I, I, I think in a way I do see a connection between like what he was doing and the athletes walking and or refusing to play this past summer in the protest against Jason, Jacob Blake. But I also think that those roots all go back to what you and Tommy did, but also Muhammad Ali. Oh, it goes back farther than Muhammad Ali or, or Tommy Smith or John Carlos. I mean, it goes back, you know, you sit back and think about Jack Johnson, about how they changed the laws and the rules for him because he chose to take his white wife across the border. They set up rules and stated that he was breaking the law by taking his wife across the border like he committed a major crime. Kurt Flood, in terms of Kurt Flood letting the, the American Baseball League know that, hey, man, we're not cattle. You can't just shift us around and we have no say-so and where we go or how much money we're going to make or what we're going to do. There's uh, Paul Robeson, the same difference, you know, to the point where Paul Robeson started talking about the issues in, in terms of being involved in sub, uh, substantial racism, systemic racism throughout society. And then they would take his passport away and tell him it's illegal for you to travel abroad because we don't want you to educate people abroad. So it's not just Tommy Smith or John Carlos or Muhammad Ali. There's been many before us. I mean, you sit back, you think about why is it that we don't know about Nat Turner? Nat Turner was one of those individuals that was right there. And the to say was that he was an athlete. Hey, he's a man just like Muhammad Ali. He was a man just like Nat Turner. We all in the same thing together. Look at Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman had to be athletic just to do what she did to try and free as many people as she. Now, say this past summer, you, along with a number of other athletes, sent a letter to the International Olympic Committee asking them to reconsider its rule about protests by athletes. Or if you could tell me a little bit more about that. 
Well, I don't think they need to reconsider. They just need to ban it all together. When you think about the Olympic Committee, the International Olympic Committee, or the United States Olympic Committee, but what they did, they inherited that movement. And instead of them trying to put this thing down and create an even playing field, they threw logs into the fire to dictate the individual athletes as to what you can do or what you can't do. Let me tell you something simple. If guys was representing the United States, we got the big USA on our chest, and we're proud to wear it because we represent America. But after a while, we realized that America didn't even represent us, even down to toiletries that we had when we had a travel kit. They never gave me anything that represents black people. I don't need no sun suntan lotion. You understand? So, like, they didn't have anyone that represented me in that boardroom when they was setting up this forum. Now they're going to tell an individual what you can do in your 15 minutes in the sun? I don't think what I did in the Olympic Games was anywhere undignified. It wasn't disrespectful. But yet and still, they're going to tell me that I can't do what I did based on how I'm being treated in this society? They're dead wrong. Well, I, I wonder, too, because you and Tommy Smith were inducted into the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Hall of Fame last year. And the honor was viewed by many as acknowledgement that what you did in, uh, was them accepting what you did in 1960 Olympics. What was going on through your mind when you were inducted? Well, you know, let me tell you something. That induction was probably more satisfactory to my family because they felt that we should have been inducted 52 years ago. But yet and still, my personal beliefs were that I didn't need to be inducted into the Hall of Fame because society has woke up to realize we were right. They realized that they was on the wrong part of history. So they had to include us into their situation. Well, I'm wondering then, like, um, adding to that conversation, like, what are things that you want to see done to, to get there, to make it move forward? Or just how long do you think this is going to take? We are to the point now in society where Individuals, and, and when I say individuals, I'm talking about black individuals that have done so many things to enhance economically for so many people, like professional sports, international Olympics that they have on a constant four-year basis. When you sit back and think about the young athletes today, they're realizing that, hey, man, we appreciate the fact that you're the cow to give the milk. We respect that. But it appears that for who we are in terms of what we do, there's no respect coming back our way. You think merely because you give me a check to do a job that I don't deserve the respect as a human being? Well, they're reminding the ownerships now and they're reminding the International Olympic Committee now that, yes, you're the cow that gives the milk, but we want you to realize today that we're the grass that the cow has to eat in order to give the milk. If there's no grass, the damn sure won't be a cow. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Um, and then I'd say going back to Muhammad Ali, I think if you had to take away one thing that you learned from him that others should look at, what would that be? Hey, hey man, the same thing that I had that he had, and that's courage. Courage to stand up and do what's right. You had, you know, what's 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 the greatest thing that, that, that they had in, in maritime time? You know what it was? It was that beacon that used to be over the ocean, man, that, that light that flooded and just kept circling to give people hope. Courage, man. Courage. You got to last through the storm. You know, when you get into the mountaintop, man, like Dr. King said, I've been to the mountaintop. Think about all the shit he had to go through before he got there. He had to go through sandstorms and rainstorms and firestorms and snow and mud and all kinds of shit, but he didn't stop. And that's the only way we're going to make change is to climb through these storms that they throw in front of us to let them know that we're not going anywhere, man. You brought us to America, 
Whether you like us being in America or not, we are here to stay. I'd like to wrap up our interview with a thing called Pick One, where I give you a couple choices and you pick one. It doesn't mean one is better than the other, and we love if you would talk it out. How does that feel? It sounds like the psych test. Kind of like that. I think you'll, when you see the first one, I think you'll get the idea. So the first one is pick one, 100-meter dash or the 200-meter dash. Pick one. 200. How come? Why? I can have fun in the 200. In the 100 yards, uh, 100, 100 meters or what have you, is a short race. The longer race, I could unwind. I could either say on the turn, I could take it easy and blow them away on the straightaway, or I could just blow them off the turn and be so far in front of them on the straightaway. I could play with it. I could have fun with it. I could say if I want to push off the blocks at the start, I could do it. If I want to come out lazy, boy, I could do it. But I had room to make the adjustments in the race. I couldn't do that in 100 meters. Or in the 200, I could do a lot and have more enjoyment about doing it. Okay, next one here is black socks or white socks? Black socks. And I, I just for where I'm getting this from, and I had no idea about this, so I was reading up on you, is that on the metal stand, obviously the iconic thing we think of is the fist in the air, but the other thing is you didn't have shoes. You and Tommy weren't wearing shoes. Instead, you were wearing black socks. Can you tell, tell me about that? Well, we wore black socks in the race. Well, I, you know, I've always grown with the feel that black is a color that you can put with anything. So, like, if I'm out on the track, I can wear the same socks that I wore with my, my three-piece suit. It was the idea to wear black socks opposed to white socks, as far as I'm concerned, because black is the color of the universe, period. And wasn't some of that, though, and this is where I guess make a clarification, was also to acknowledge that a lot of people who are black don't even have shoes or are in poverty, and that was that symbol, right? No, that's, that's exactly why we went out there without shoes on, because it, here we are, I got the greatest nation in the world, they can take a, a spaceship and send it to the moon and land. They can't kill hunger in, in America. It's absurd. All right, here's the next one. Uh, and this is a tough one. I don't know if there's a good answer for this. So the Muhammad Ali versus Frazier Fright, a.k.a. the Thriller from Manila, or the Muhammad Ali versus Foreman Fight, a.k.a. the Rungle, Rumble in the Jungle. If you had to pick one, would you pick the Thriller from Manila or the Rumble in the Jungle? I would have to take the Rumble in the Jungle. It said volumes in terms of being on another continent and having that fight. And and to say, I represent Black America, but here I'm in, in the motherland in Africa. And it's so many people was just so excited to see him. And they build that fight like to say that George Farmer was all American. Not to say that George Farmer wasn't a black man. He was a black man. But the way they tried and build a fight, like George Farmer was waving the flag and he was representing, you know, American apple pie. And here's Muhammad Ali, the rebel and so forth. But in the continent of Africa, there were so many people that let him know that he was loved as much or maybe more by people of color in Africa than he ever was here in America. And we was on top of the hill in terms of love, admiration, and respect for him here. Okay, so this next one is um, being the first runner, second runner, third runner, or fourth runner of a relay race. If you, Which one would you pick? Well, you know, I like running the fourth leg, but I'll run any leg. It didn't matter to me. You know, I come out the blocks, so I run the middle leg. Uh, I've run just about all of them anyway. Uh, it, it, I didn't really have a preference as to which one to run. Whichever one I felt that uh, I'm going to be able to do the most damage. Sometimes, you know, I would come out the blocks and they would say, well, we need you, man, because you know how to run that first turn. 
at first 110. Other times they came back and said, well, man, we need you because you can blow that straightaway away. We're running that second leg. Or they might tell me, say, man, once again, we need you to run that third leg because you can run that turn. And then other times they come back and say, man, you run anchor because anybody that's out front, you're going to run them down. So I got enjoyment out of running the relay. It, it, it's just a matter of me looking at that relay from perspective that that relay team is like a tank. Everyone that was on that relay, whether the, it was the, the the cannon on the tank or whether it was a periscope on the tank or whether it was a little spring on the tank or whether it was one of the wheels on the tank. If one of them didn't come do the job, it didn't matter what leg I run. We didn't win the race. So the fact is that everybody did their job, regardless of what leg that they ran on that relay. All right, here's my last one for you. And I, and I know from some of the stuff you said before that, you know, maybe these honors aren't as meaningful, but they, they definitely mean a lot, I think, to a lot of us who look up to you. But being honored by President Obama in 2016 or receiving the Author Ash Award for Courage in 2008, which one do you pick? Well, of course, going to the White House, because that, that says volumes relative to my family. You know, we come from a humble beginning. For me to go to the White House and be honored by the President of the United States, that's a big uh, a blessing. And, and I think that would be probably more pride than my mother could ever handle in her life and time as being someone alive at the time and where my father was, where his spirit is in the universe, it had to be an enormous amount of pride for him as well to say, hey, look at my son to come from humble beginnings and he's being honored by the president of the United States in the White House. Well, I am just speechless because I is just a beautiful story. And I could say that I not only like you, but I have so much more respect for you after getting to talk to you for the past half hour. Thank, Thank you, you so man. much. man, I appreciate you. I want to thank Dr. Carlos for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Ali's comeback with video-on-demand services like YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.